0: Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Good morning, Hoke Gay uh, My name is Phil Wooster. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, and my pronouns are he and him. Um, <clears throat> the reason, one of the reasons that I'm speaking you, to you today is because I am disabled. Um, I might not look like it uh, from the outside, um, but my sight has been compromised uh, over the last 37 years. Uh, by uh, glaucoma. And I've lost a lot of vision. Um, I still see everything, but that's just my brain uh, completing a picture. Uh, I really can't see uh, everything I uh, that's in front of me. Um, the other disability that I have is my hearing. And I feel that <laughs> pretty much is um, because of my heritage. Uh, my grandmother's And my mother and father uh, lost the hearing very early in their lives. Um, And I've been struggling with hearing aids for the last 20 years. Um, But strange thing is that lately um, it's changed. First of all, um, my eye doctor uh, said that I had uh, cataracts and that they weren't as bad as a lot of people's cataracts, but they should be removed because they're taking sight away from me. So I had operations on both eyes and I cannot believe the difference. Um, I still can't see what I can't see, uh, but what I can see, I can see much better now. Um, So that's a huge improvement for me, uh, especially for reading. Um, And the other thing is that the, the VA uh, accepted me as a disabled veteran and gave me a new set of hearing aids, and these things are technological wonders, um, and I can hear much better now, and there's so many I, the things on my iPhone. I just fool around with it, and um, amazing how well I can hear. So that's the background uh, for me. Um, today I'm going to be talking about uh, the real disabled person in my life, uh, who was my wife, Linda, uh, who had a very bad stroke. um, uh, Three years ago. And, um, but first I want to read the, the Bible verse. I do have to have readers for this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who would be, who would believe could have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life for God said for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of god's one and only son this is the verdict light has come unto the world but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds of evil were evil everyone who does evil Hates the light and will not come to the light for fear of that their deeds will be exposed. Uh, You don't need to have me sit here and tell you that this passage is the foundation for Christianity, belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and his influence. On humanity. But one of the things, kind of a different look at it, is I'm trying to imagine God's anguish at having to sacrifice his son to save the world. I think when he sent his son here, he honestly believed that humans were going to catch on and were going to figure out that this was a really wonderful person, wasn't a politician. But he was a teacher and a social worker, and just amazing at those two things. But that didn't work out because the Jews wanted a politician. And so God had to go to essentially plan B. And it had to just be awful for him uh, to know that the only way he could save humanity uh, was by this act of uh, sacrificing his son. The story today that I'm going to tell is about, again, about my wife Linda. On June 3rd, 2018, uh, she had a physical at Martin's Point, and I asked if I could go, and she said, sure, come on. So we went, And before they kicked me out of the office with the doctor, I told the doctor that my wife was really ill uh, and that she was short of breath all the time and even the slightest activity um, slowed her right down. And there was something drastically wrong. And although Linda was making light of it, um, I felt that it was very, very serious. Uh, So that day, the doctor did a chest x-ray called the AAA test. And two days later on June fifth, they called us to uh, go to the Scarborough Imaging Center uh, for a CT scan of what they had found they thought was an aneurysm. So we go to the the Scarborough Imaging Center (laughs) and she, uh, and I'm sitting there playing with my phone while she's back there, and she and the, and the uh, person that did the CT come out, and the person says, you've got to go to Maine Medical Center right now. And I looked at her, and I said, what's the matter? And She says, she's got a, an aneurysm that's nine millimeters wide. And I said, you mean nine centimeters wide? And I said, you mean nine millimeters? And she said, she gave me this look like, no, this is nine centimeters. And so Linda and I got in the car and of course I don't drive because of my sight. So she was driving into Portland. We got about halfway there and she said, should we be doing this? I hadn't even thought of it because the woman just said, go to main Med. So we just went to main Med, Um, but no, we shouldn't have. (laughs) (laughs) but the quickest way to get there was for her to drive uh, to Maine Medical Center. Once we got to Maine Medical Center, and she was in the emergency room, it was really funny. Um, I thought they were just kind of taking her blood pressure and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden, three people came out from behind this door, and the next thing I knew, I couldn't blink, and she was gone, Um, and I asked the nurse, I said, Where'd she go? And she said, "Pre-op." And I said, "Can I go?" And she said, "Sure." So I did. And Linda was lying there on the gurney, um, having a uh, another test, and uh, the doctor was had really, really serious look on his face. And um, and she's joking with the doctor. And what was really happening to her was that her aorta was tearing as she was lying there. And the doctor just grabbed the gurney and says, we got to go. And that's actually the last time I talked to my wife. um, Because during that operation, which was a huge success, I mean, the doctor told me it was a the most serious, the most complicated operation he'd ever done in his life. And he said most of what he did, he'd only seen in textbooks. Um, and But during that operation, which was seven hours long, she had a very serious stroke in the left side of her brain. Actually, we found out since that it's actually a series of four strokes that she had. And... She was changed forever. Um, On July twenty fifth, two 2018, I took her home from New England Rehab on Brighton, and it was my job as uh, her husband uh, to be her single caretaker. From then on, the decisions that I had to make and the things that we had to do were just so difficult all the time. Every, it seems like almost every day there was something different coming up. There was a different problem, a different issue. Uh, something else was going wrong. It wasn't just her, the fact that she couldn't speak and that her short-term memory was completely gone and her long-term memory, although you could reach it, wasn't Working well either, and uh, and so we worked very hard uh, to get her to speech therapy, um, OT, PT, all these things. And actually, she recovered very well physically. Uh, it's just that she couldn't speak. Uh, it was a word salad, and uh, and she couldn't. She she was um, compromised in what she could and couldn't do. Um, so I was doing all the cooking, all the cleaning and everything. And it came, one of the toughest decisions we had to make was we had lived in this house for 20 years and had completely renovated it. And it was just the nicest place. We, we, it's where we wanted to be for the rest of our lives. But unfortunately it was in Saco, which is, My daughter, Kelly, lives in Portland, and it's a mile from the bus, Um, and the bus is on Route 1, so I would have had to cross streets to get to Route 1 and everything to actually get a bus, and there were very few Ubers uh, in in Saco at that time, so we made the very difficult decision uh, to move to Portland. We did this with prayer and meditation and with the uh, with a group of people that I trusted uh, to evaluate it with us who are also uh, deeply Christian and I trusted their view of what was going on. So we sold the house and moved to an apartment in uh, Portland up on North Street. And that, that move was excellent for me uh, because I could catch the bus and go downtown. I could get around Portland. The Ubers were plentiful then in 2018, 2019. Uh, there were Ubers were plentiful and I never had to wait more a few minutes for one. So I became mobile, um, but unfortunately she became more and more Uh, isolated of her own choice. um, I always wanted her to go with me. I always was willing to take her everywhere and she just refused to go. Uh, And so that was the first difficult decision to to lose the house and and to live in an apartment. Um, We also tried a lot of different therapies with her um, she went to the same place on St. John Street that Sarah went to, um, and over the course of two and a half years, um, we had tremendous amount of ups and downs. I can't count the number of times we ended up in the ER at Maine Med um, for different things, not just uh, her um, mental health, but well, physical stuff as well. Um, And the decisions that we had to make to to make this all work, Kelly and I worked together on this, uh, were just excruciating uh, because we just, we kept moving ahead and hoping that things would get better, but they just did not. Um, And and of course, the pandemic did not help uh, because everything shut down for three or four months and Linda was just starting to get... uh, uh, Treatment uh, at at the place on Saint John Street when then we had to stop, and so we started up again afterwards, and things were actually looking uh, a bit better uh, on uh, uh, once we got started again. But one of the things that happened to me was, I don't know, we lived in Portland about six months, I guess, and I was tired because uh, it was a lot of work and and it was the kind of work that you just it's never ending you know it's just that next thing you got to do and uh kelly picked me up i had an appointment or something kelly picked me up and was driving me home and i just came apart i uh all i could say was i want my life back i want my life back this isn't what I visioned. This isn't what I wanted. I want my life back. Since then, I will say uh, that I have changed that attitude. And one of the things that has changed it for me uh, is the fact that I now look at building a new life. Um, unfortunately, I'll tell you in a minute, but in a, unfortunately, Linda won't be a part of that. Um, but that's what one of the things that was really important to me is making that shift from wanting my old life back, which I couldn't have, to looking at the possibilities of a new life and a new way and a new situation that would be helpful to me. And I have to say that one of the things that made that happen was Hope Gateway. Uh, because I got more support from you folks uh, than I ever could have imagined, and I, and I feel that's just when you talk about a disability or whatever, support is what is, and you don't have to do anything. You don't you don't have to bake lasagna or you know whatever, but just being there for me, and and being a part of my life and that made that shift possible. Um, but unfortunately, uh, last April, um, Linda had a seizure and the seizure erased all of the progress that had been made. And when she went back to rehab after the being in the hospital from the seizure, um, they tried to bring her back again. And try to rehab, excuse me, both physically and mentally, everything to see if, if she could come back. And she could not. She made next to no progress uh, there. And so then we were faced with this horrible decision of putting, keeping her in, in a nursing home and me living alone. And I have to tell you, I'm 74 years old. I had never lived alone in my entire life um, up until April 1st of last year. Um, God, it's going to be almost a year. I thought of that. Um, But anyway, um, the decision was in everybody's best interest because they could give Linda the care that she needed. And... I could live my life um, knowing that she is, she's there, she's taken care of everything. She's getting all of the care and love and support that she can there. Uh, we've also since then added hospice, uh, which no longer has that six month thing. Um, that added hospice and they are just extraordinary. They come and visit her several, I think there's several of them come every week. And there's a minister that comes once a month. And so it's really, really worked out well. But the hard part is that Linda blames me for all of this. And so whenever I go to visit her, she gets angry and upset um, and, and very anxious. She cries and carries on, and really heartbreaking. Uh, but the people at Springbrook where, she, where she's staying told me to stay away. She says it's not good for her and it's not good for you. Um, I'm hoping that uh, in the future that she will accept what's going on and I'll be able to visit her more often. But right now I'm not visiting her very often uh, simply because of the anguish that comes up for both of us Um, because this is so hard and it's so difficult the last thing I want to say is that all these decisions, all the things we had to do, all the, all of this path that we were on and we had to figure out how to get from point A to point B very often. One of the things I've believed for a long time, and I thank Mike Gray, Minister Mike Gray and All Orchard for this, because he and I kind of came up with this together um, is the only thing you have to do is the next right thing. And when you do, when you make that decision, of course you make it with God's love and prayer and, and the, and God's connection to who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. That's the next right thing. Then, regardless of how that comes out, the next thing you have to do is do the next right thing. And those, that idea, which I had years ago, has, has, stead- has kept me, um, on the track of being sure that Linda, Kelly, and I, all three of us are working towards the right end. And all three of us are in the best situation we can be in at this time. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.